0: As we neared the corner, a tall tree blocked the moonlight, and it grew even darker. I let out a cry as two figures leaped out at us from behind the tree. They wore dark robes that flowed straight down to the ground, and over their heads, they wore pumpkins. Large round pumpkins perfectly balanced on their shoulders. Whoa! Walker let out a startled cry. He backed up and stumbled into me. Tabby and Lee gaped in surprise, but the most horrifying surprise was yet to come. As they slowly turned to face us, their jack-o'-lantern faces came into view. Eerie, jagged grins cut into their pumpkin heads. Flashing triangle eyes, lit by flames, bright orange and yellow flames danced inside their heads. And as the pumpkin heads turned, their fiery, ragged grins on us, Walker and I opened our mouths and screamed in terror. Hello. And welcome. To Say Podcast
1: and Die. The podcast where two queers sit in their closet and talk to you about goosebumps. That's right. I'm Alyssa. I'm Andy. And this week we are talking about Goosebumps number 48, Attack of the Jack-o'-Lanterns. Yes.
0: And what an attack it is. Yeah. What's going on with our cover this week? It's a much more detailed cover than I realized, actually. So I remembered this one. Uh, It's really cool. There's a bunch of people with pumpkin heads, jack-o'-lantern heads walking down a street. I noticed this time that one of them has knee socks, which is (laughs) a cool fashion choice. And one is a bulldog, which yeah. is also a cool fashion choice. And the sky, as ever with Tim Jacobus, is a eerie pink turning purple. And uh, something I really noticed looking more closely at the cover this time is the interplay of expressions on the pumpkin's faces. Mm-hmm. You almost have a Last Supper effect here with the dynamism between the glances,
1: wouldn't you agree? I wouldn't have gone last supper, but yeah, they definitely they're pumpkins that seem to be talking to each other or interacting, or in the case of the bulldog, you can just see it like going ah, ah, like staring at you it's like even though it's cold out in late October, I'm very hot, yeah. my nose is too short, <laughs> yeah, there's also like a cool there's some some cool detail. there's an open mailbox in the background, you know there's the kid in front has a just like heavy pillowcase full of candy. And we
0: have this weird splat on our cover about the Goosebumps fan club that covers up part of J- Tim Jacobus's image, but I think there's a raven in that tree. Oh, cool. You can kind of see the bottom part of it.
1: Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, there this one says trading cards inside. And we actually got one trading card left inside. I was so excited because these stuff the, these books always have the stuff ripped out. Yeah, this was the trading card for this particular book. It says, starring, and it lists the characters, setting, under a pale half moon, Halloween <laughs> night, say what? More houses, more trick-or-treating. And then it says, the real deal. This is a quote from R.L. Stein. (laughs) A reporter recently asked me if I carved jack-o'-lanterns with my right or left hand. I said, neither. I use a knife. Oh, man.
0: There's a guy who's written jokes for a living. (laughs) Always has them at the ready. Yeah. Also, we actually have the full cover image here, so I can see that it's it's an owl that's in that tree. An owl with
1: kind of evil eyes. Really cool. Yeah. I recently saw a video of people booping owls on the beaks. Oh, that seems dangerous. Yeah. Well, there was one video where the owl was like, "Get away from me." Yeah. And then but there were two owls and the other owl was like, "But I would like to be booped."
0: Ah. <laughs> I'd love to boop an
1: owl if if you if do they have cafes for that? They should. <laughs> Predator cafes, just full of owls and like, <laughs> like predator birds.
0: It, predator bird cafe is a better name than Predator Cafe, if you're trying to get people to... <laughs> Different clientele wow. seems like a late 90s internet cafe, you know, <laughs> yeah. where everything's very sticky. <laughs> anyway,
1: do you want to do a bird's eye view of this plot? That's right. Owl's eye view of this plot? Yes. So we have Drew, who is sometimes called Elf by her dad, because she's short. She and her buddies, Shayna and Shane and Walker, <laughs> are obsessed with getting back at these two other kids, Lee and Tabitha. Or like, Tabby. Or Tabby. Um, Who did them no harm. Well, this is the thing. It's a very you-can't-scare-me setup where... They pull, they did pull a prank on them two years ago, and they have spent the last two years obsessing about how they will get back on them, specifically on Halloween. And it wasn't a prank on them; it was a prank on everyone, all of their friends. Yes, and and so we get some backstory about that, which takes up like a lot of the book. And then they have this plan about how well we don't actually know their plan. So and so they... <laughs> yeah, we're
0: we're kept out of the plot a lot more than I've seen in previous Goosebumps book. There's not. Like the reader isn't let in on what's happening, which is
1: I thought a kind of cool no- narratorial move. It's it's very girl who cried monster.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And oh yeah, this is such this book in the last couple has been Stein revisiting his greatest hits and mashing them up.
1: Yeah, and so Shayna and Shane are off doing something. We will find out what later. Walker and Drew meet up with
0: Tabby and Lee. Tabby
1: and Lee. There are too many names. I know. <laughs> and they run into these two tall figures with blazing jack-o'-lanterns on their heads who say, follow us, we'll show you where to trick-or-treat. And so they follow them to the small little neighborhood where there's like lots of great candy and they want to go home, but the jack-o'-lanterns keep saying, more houses. More houses.
0: Yeah, and they, like, force them to gorge themselves on candy so that they can fill their bags more. Yeah,
1: it's pretty intense. And then they bring out pumpkins and are going to make them into pumpkin heads. And all, smash every, them on them. Everybody from this neighborhood comes out and blazing jack-o'-lantern heads. And so they put pumpkins on Lee and Tabby and they run away screaming. And then Drew and Walker look at the two pumpkin heads and like, ha, 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 They didn't know that our friends are
0: aliens. Yeah, Shane and Shana are aliens.
1: Yeah. That's and the twist. The names, I was like, man, their parents are lazy. And then it made sense. That at least made sense at the end. Right.
0: It's like how in uh, Third Rock from the Sun, their names are Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what would an alien name their yeah. kids? And right at the top, I want to introduce the fact that we have the 1996 copy of this book before it was made significantly less racist and fatphobic. So buckle
1: in. Oh, the interesting. They revised the text. Yes, when we get into
0: theories, I will let you know what they expunged in the twenty eighteen version for the better.
1: Looking forward to it. Looking forward to learning what was memory hold. (laughs) So we open with Drew. Drew Brock.
0: we got we're also back to
1: sign giving everyone a last name, regardless <laughs> of how minor of a character they are. Yeah. So we learn about how she's called Elf. Her dad actually has like lots of like kind of snide nicknames for all of her friends or descriptors.
0: Her dad spends a lot of time judging children, yeah, who he tangentially knows. Yeah.
1: And so she tells us how she loves Halloween, but Tabby and Lee have ruined the past two Halloweens. And so she's obsessed with getting revenge. Mhm. And so we um learn that her dad calls Tabby Little Miss Perfect and Shayna and Shane he calls Roly-Poly. Yeah, what a jerk. Mhm. Also, does he call Walker anything? No. Nothing significant.
0: I did notice, though, Walker and Drew both have verbs for names, which is
1: interesting. (laughs) But
0: um, I think that these self-image issues or kind of body consciousness image things that her dad seems to dwell on have affected Drew uh, because she says that her favorite thing about Halloween is she
1: doesn't have to look like herself. Yeah, that's pretty telling. Also relatable for a couple of queers. That's true. Well, we'll get to this, but she goes a very like queer Halloween route when she does her costumes. It's yes. not like sexy this or like princess that, which is something she criticizes Tabby for. But she has very young, queer Halloween costumes.
0: You know, I spent this entire book thinking Drew was male. Yeah. Even though it said I had I, I saw on the trading card it said she. And so then I went back and looked and saw, oh, she does say at the beginning that she's the tiniest girl in her class and that's why she has to be so tough. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this character is very agender.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then we flash back to the big incident two years ago. <laughs> we also learn that Lee is black and oh my god, Goose punks! this this is gonna get bad. He quote unquote acts like the rappers on MTV and she says she can quote never understand a word he says because because he has gum in his mouth.
0: Okay, that I was like Arlstein fuck you, because that is enough plausible deniability for white people who don't want to acknowledge racism to be like, that's not racist. It's just a joke about him having gum in his mouth when it's like, come on, guys, how many times have you heard white people saying, oh, I can't understand the wire without subtitles, Mm -hmm. right?
1: That's what the implication is there. It's not hard to miss. And there are little things like this throughout the book where it's like... You didn't think about that.
0: Well, and I think this is our third Black character, at least described as Black, that we've encountered so far in Goosebumps. And I think
1: only the second one with a name. And
0: I think only the first one that actually has a significant role in the plot. Yes. And he made him the enemy. Like, Arlstein made him the enemy character. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so here we are. Yeah. And it's going to get worse, so buckle in. I really am curious what the conversation was with the 2018 reissuers and R.L. Stein, and how much they made him answer for himself. Yeah. and how, Or how much he was like, oh, I guess that is what
1: I was saying. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, so another character detail is that Drew sometimes growls when she's Drew, frustrated. Drew's a pretty
0: angry girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she often wants to punch people in the face and talks about that a lot.
1: She and her friends are invited to a Halloween party at Lee's. This was in 1994. 1994. Two years. They're 10. Shane and Shana go as snow people. Walker goes as <laughs> a mummy. And she's a Klingon. Again, this is like a, a non-typical girl Halloween costume. And so they're, yeah. they're at this party and there's a quote unquote break in. So Lee says, someone's broken in. Uh, the phone's dead. My parents are gone. And then these these masked people come in. One is in a ski mask. One is in a gorilla mask and pretend to hold them up and then just make them do push ups. <laughs> um, and it's it's two high school kids, and I, I guess Lee's parents had gone next door for a minute. and yeah, it's Todd, yeah. Jeffrey, and Joe something. Yeah, the one person without a last name. Yeah, and then this is what ruined Halloween for Drew and her friends.
0: Well, and it does seem like they were a little traumatized by this. Yeah. They thought that they were maybe going to die, and so they
1: have nightmares about it. Yeah, Afterwards, this is the thing. Like all the kids in their class too have nightmares about it, and it. So like. It's a fair criticism. Like, that's not a nice thing to do. Sure. I can also see,
0: though, a couple of 10-year-olds thinking it would be really funny. Yes. And if anyone is to blame here, it is Joe something and whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Todd Jeffrey. Why are these high schoolers hanging around doing this? Pretending to hold up a bunch of 10-year-olds. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: and we meet them later. They How they spend Halloween is creeping around the neighborhood trying to scare children also. So I feel like something's not okay with these guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: They probably hang out at Predator Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> then,
1: Halloween 1995. Yeah, so then we then we go to Halloween 1995. Shane and Shana want to put up jack o' lanterns. We get a uh, word that we've been getting a lot. Walker tells them it's babyish, which again, a lot of Goose Kids have been saying in the last getting, few books. Getting what? Getting jack o' lanterns is babyish. Oh yeah. So that's a train Arlstein's been on a lot lately.
0: And the reason they're hosting a party is uh, in the style of classical myths, such as the story of Procne and Tereus and Philomel. uh, It is a party to stage a revenge plot.
1: I don't know that I know that story.
0: Uh, You probably have heard it before. Philomela is Procne's sister. Tereus is Procne's wife. Tereus rapes her sister, cuts out her tongue. She tells her sister what happened by uh, sewing... It into a tapestry or mm-hmm. weaving it into a tapestry. And so Procne gets revenge on Tarius by killing his son and serving it to him for dinner.
1: And This then, is a really common theme in various <laughs> stories. And
0: then they run from him and they turn into birds. Wow. And then Titus Andronicus is kind of the same story. This that's is,
1: the version of it, I know.
0: That's what Shakespeare was riffing
1: on. Yeah, lots of serving people to other people in pies.
0: Yeah, also Shakespeare's very R.L. Stein about it, Wink <laughs> and nod. Because you know how, like in Barking Ghost, it's like, oh, my last name is Holmes or
1: whatever? Yeah. It was.
0: yeah. In Titus Andronicus, he keeps having characters reading Ovid's Metamorphoses, which is where you find the uh, crack
1: story. Okay.
0: So anyway, Attack of the Jack-o'-Lanterns is in this tradition of the revenge tragedy stage at a party.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes. They spend a year plotting this revenge to the point where they're so obsessed they don't even have time to think about their own Halloween costumes. Drew recycles her Klingon costume.
0: Also a whole year and they don't come up with anything till the last second, really. Yeah.
1: They don't do a very good job. So it, and like they they spitball some ideas like Walker wants to put a tarantula in Tabitha's hair a la you can't scare me they want to turn out the lights and play a creepy recording and Shane and Shayna have this idea that involves green slime yeah and they want to saw a trapdoor into the floor <laughs> yeah but then Drew is like I think
0: that my parents will notice that I think we should take a moment to also say what the creepy recording that uh, that Walker makes is so it's this raspy voice. And here's the kind of song, poem, chant, um, which we might want to analyze a bit. Mm -hmm. Come with me. Come with me now. Come home to where you belong. Come home to the grave. Come with me. Come with me now. Come home to where you belong. Come to your grave, Tabby and Lee. I have come for you and you alone. Come, Tabby and Lee. Come with me now.
1: Two thoughts. Yes. First. Says the word "come" a lot. It really does. Second, it reminds me of Sarah Jessica Parker's song in Hocus Pocus. Come, little children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, Which is also very creepy when you look at back at it as an adult. It's like she's she's acting something out that I don't know if they knew she was doing. I mean, they must have. They must have known. known she was being like really seductive towards children, yeah. and her cleavage was so up. Yeah, yeah. Which I did notice as a child. I I was like, interesting, banking this information away.
0: I thought she was the prettiest woman I'd ever seen. Same, But, yeah, so also it's a beckoning to the grave. This Mm -hmm. idea of the grave as home, which is a very creepy suggestion.
1: It's like, I'm just going to put you to bed. Yeah. Also, it's very convenient to have a party and you're specifically saying, only you two, though. Everyone else, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they've really worked out the logistics. No.
0: I'm also very concerned about what is in this slime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically, they turn Drew's house into a haunt, which sounds really cool. They, yeah, they did they go all in. But then that day, they get a phone call from Tabby saying that she and Lee aren't coming. They're going trick or treating with Lee's cousin, who lives in a neighborhood where he can get lots of candy.
0: Yeah, they're gonna go to four different neighborhoods. That's living.
1: Yeah, that's there are some really like go get her 11 11-year-olds.
0: I do want to also mention that one of the things that, that Drew and Cope set up for their party is an eight-foot-tall papier-mâché monster in the closet.
1: Again, this is a good haunt. That is a tall closet. That's the other thing. Like, How are they going to get it out of the closet? Yeah. The tall door, I guess. I guess so. Maybe it leans. Maybe everyone in this universe is seven feet tall. Maybe. So they're really, really upset. And then On top of that, Shane and Shana had brought some of their green slime and it burns a hole in the couch. And so Drew gets in trouble for that.
0: Yeah. And once we know Shane and Shana
1: are aliens, that seems like there's more to what just happened there than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. So that was eight chapters and it was all set up for the main plot. (laughs) just want to flag that. Eight chapters. 1996. The 1996 stuff kicks off with this really, really cool sequence. Tabby is going as a space princess and Lee is going as Superman. And um, Walker and Drew are going as clansmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're
0: they're in white sheets. White sheets with holes cut out for eyes. I mean, again, so maybe Earl Stein did put didn't put two and two together, but surely he had editors who might think, hmm, in a character where you're out to Get terrorize a black guy. Yeah, you have them
1: wearing white sheets. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's not okay. Yeah,
1: but the Space Princess costume was cool. It's yeah, it's a princess costume but she painted her skin green. I've or noticed silver.
0: it doesn't seem like any of the kids in this neighborhood are super rich. They all have hand-me-down costumes or they reuse their ones from the previous year but try to spice them up a little bit.
1: And they make their own. Yeah. yeah, that too. So Walker tells them let's trick-or-treat longer cuz it's our last year cuz next year we'll be teenagers and this also gave me a visceral flashback to like, uh-oh, I'm too old for this now. Yeah, that's such a sad moment of realization. Mm-hmm. Drew suggests they trick-or-treat at the small neighborhood called the Willows. They go house to house until they find a house that's set back from the road. And an old woman invites them in and says, oh, I want to show my husband your costume. And can I pause here and
0: say, Arlstein very nicely sets up for this moment in that a child walks by right before this who is
1: dressed as a milk carton. Yes. Like kid I on the side that. of a milk carton. Yes. I loved that so much. <laughs> so they go inside and there's this huge back room and it's full of children crying and sad and angry. And the couple says... We want to look at your costumes. You have to stay here forever. Yeah. It was so good and creepy. And then it's a fake out. And I was so mad. I was so mad. Andy walked by while I was reading this and I was like, I I cannot. I was waiting for your reaction to this moment. But also
0: while you were reading this book, I was never sure which thing you were being
1: like appalled (laughs) by.
0: Yeah. But I think that looking, thinking back to that come with me poem, there's a real consistent theme in this of... The home or the neighborhood is a super dangerous place.
1: It's very classic stranger danger.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I wrote, God damn it, it's a daydream. Kind of a weird one since she's caught up in it too. And she's like, well, but in my mind, I
1: escaped somehow. Do you say a date dream? Daydream. Daydream. Yes. Yeah. And also, again, just to point out, they've now been obsessing over this for two years. Yeah. Shane and Shana come up with a plan and we don't learn what it is. Drew and Walker are supposed to take Tabby and Lee trick-or-treating. Mom, however, interrupts and says, I don't want you going trick-or-treating this year because there have been disappearances. It, so she shows them a headline, which really undersells the situation. It says, local mystery, four have vanished. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Yeah. yeah. But it's adults who have been going
0: missing. So and, yeah. And yes. So there's pictures and Drew looks at them and says, hey. Hey. All these people are fat. Yeah. So we'll be fine. Yeah. Great point, Drew. <laughs> great great observation. Uh, and yeah, we'll come back to that later. Yeah. And dad says,
1: well, it's fine if they go in a group.
0: Yeah. So thanks,
1: dad. Mom's overruled.
0: Also, when Drew was having this daydream about Tabby and Lee, they were all getting along fine. Mm-hmm. While they were trick-or-treating together. And now I really don't think Tabby and Lee know that they have a vendetta against them. I think they think they're friends.
1: Yeah. I think that they just act really nice to them all the time. Yeah. Because Drew... Which is really unsettling that you have someone who's like acting like your friend who's the whole time been plotting against you for two years. It's at the heart of every good revenge tragedy. Mm. Deception.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. someone who
1: is lying to your face all the time. Yeah. That's really nerve-wracking. That's also such a middle school fear. Mm-hmm. Like, do these people really like me? Are they talking about me behind my back? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They. I mean, they are
1: ready they for are. middle school. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yes, they are, unfortunately. So Drew goes over to invite Tabby and Lee to a trick-or-treat with them. And they're dressed up in these adorable costumes. Lee is in tights and a girl's swimsuit because he is trying to put on a
1: bee costume.
0: Yeah. And Tabby is also in tights and a... Kind of leotard because she's going to be a ballerina.
1: Yeah, enjoy those leotards because they're going out of fashion.
0: Ugh, they're in fact, so they're cool. probably out of
1: fashion at ni- nineteen ninety six. And then Tabby also makes a comment about Drew's sweatshirt being baggy, which is like not super nice, but
0: yeah, you know, she's like, oh, I guess you wanted it to look like that.
1: So yeah, she's a little bit like mean. Yeah, but she's twelve. This is a lot of effort to go to. Also, like it's the nineties. We're we're in the area of things being baggy. Yeah. So she invites them. They agree to go trick-or-treating together. Then we get Drew dressing up in her costume. She's going as a non-gendered and non-trademark infringing superhero.
0: Yeah, super Drew. She's wearing tights and white vinyl boots and boxer shorts. Yeah. And so this is when I still thought Drew was male dad asks oh are you one supposed to be wonder woman and drew gets really offended Mm -hmm. and i thought oh it's because he's being misogynistic slash whatever that dad was Mm -hmm. but i guess drew also female drew does not want to be associated with wonder woman yeah this is before gal gadot yeah exactly she just wants to be super drew yeah exactly so then walker shows up oh wait and dad's dad's advice did you catch this no if you see anyone suspicious run away
1: yeah thanks (laughs) And then, yeah, we have this sort of sequence where dad is bumbling, trying to take her picture, and she's getting very frustrated. And then Walker shows up. Oh, no. What is Walker wearing, Andy?
0: Mm, he is wearing a black outfit, and he has put on blackface. Yes. When he's on his way to meet his black friend. Yes. Yes. Who last year he dressed up for as a Klansman. Yeah, oh, that was that in was the daydream, dream. yeah, but yes, uh, but but he says his costume is a dark and stormy night, and he has this cute little bit where he pulls out a water pistol and squirts someone. That's the stormy part. And it's this is the third time where it's like Arlstein has some plausible deniability in here. But the pattern is starting
1: to make that less and less plausible. I wonder if it's the kind of thing where he's like, oh, this just came to me. I don't know why. Yeah. And this
0: and this. I think that's so often the case with him that he kind of just works by association and Mm -hmm. doesn't question where it's coming from. But I don't think that absolves him. And B, I don't know. He could be one of those white guys who's like, well, why shouldn't
1: you be able to wear blackface? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Like a college boy. Yeah, it was really, I don't know. It was really hard to overlook this while reading. It's just, like, there all the time.
0: Well, and I wonder if we can think about this as a story about racism in some way. Yeah. Because it's about people invading your neighborhood who you're afraid of and Mm -hmm. who you,
1: you know, maybe didn't realize were there. And, yeah. And not realizing that the, like, white kids who are supposed to be your friends are actually, like, plotting revenge on you. Plotting, Mm -hmm. like, to, to horrify you in some way. Yeah, exactly.
0: So... Yeah, that's that's what's going on here. Yeah, it's I don't know. I feel like two ways about it. I don't want to say, you know, Arlstein is one of those college bros who's okay with blackface. I have no idea. But on the other hand, I think that this is just if he didn't if he wrote this and didn't realize the implications of it, then he needs to do some more thinking about race. Yes. Right. Yeah. At the very least.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So they go. They get scared by those high schoolers who are still scaring children. They're hiding in a bush. <laughs> and then... And then
0: uh, oh, yeah. And Drew says, that, Drew says that she wants to plow her fists into their faces.
1: She really wants to be punching people. Yeah. And Lee and Tabby see this and think it's hilarious. They go do some trick-or-treating, but Shane and Shana aren't there. And Drew is getting increasingly worried that they've missed them. But then two people in cloaks with jack-o'-lantern heads come in and meet them. Lee and Tabby aren't scared. And the pumpkins tell them to follow them to a better neighborhood.
0: And Lee and Tabby are kind of on to them right away. They say, oh, it's obviously Shane and Shana. Mm -hmm. Also, as we are leading up to this moment, we get kind of a bird's eye view of the neighborhood and the kinds of people in it. We get a lot of little glimpses into people's homes, which I thought was an effective way of doing Halloween horror is mm-hmm. these you don't really know your neighbors, here's a little slice into their life. So our first neighbor is wearing a yellow turtleneck, has a basket of Snickers and Milky Ways, and has this orange cat with blue eyes that Drew is getting lost in. <laughs> just keeps She just keeps staring into the cat's eyes. And then the next house, there's a couple of three or four year olds handing out candy. Then there's a house that gives out apples and Tabby and Lee are kind of jerks. Lee throws the apple out of his bag and Tabby kicks hers across the ground.
1: Yeah. Apples are good. I can't imagine they've been getting a lot of messaging about don't take anything that's not wrapped from their parents because we sure were. probably true. Yeah. Right. It's full of razor blades. Get it out of here. But also, yeah. yes, I think it's being 12 and wanting candy.
0: And wanting to show that you're like, I'm um, above tough... this. I'm yeah. not scared of anything. Yeah. Which is kind of what Halloween's for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, these these two people with the pumpkin heads go, we know a better neighborhood. In neighborhoods you won't forget.
1: Follow us. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, exactly. They they lead them through the woods, which prompts Drew to start remembering all the people who've disappeared. Yeah. And then they emerge at a tiny neighborhood they've never seen before. Yeah, this little hidden
0: neighborhood. It's very brightly lit. The first house, <laughs> a baby gives them
1: mini candy bars. Yeah, and th- is very delighted by the pumpkin heads. Yeah. Um, also, at this point, I wrote in my notes, we're two-thirds of the way through the book, and it feels like we're just getting to the actual plot.
0: It really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, R.L. Stein is a non-traditionalist in terms of his plot structures. That's true. At The next house, an elderly couple thinks they're too loud and <laughs> gives them nickels instead of candy. There's a house with a sarcastic teen with an earring who gives them candy
1: corn. So just this really interesting survey of town demographics, I think. And they get so much candy that their bags are full and they're exhausted. And then the jack-o'-lantern heads keep coaxing them to do more. And eventually they say, you know, we're ready to quit. And they say, you can't ever quit. Right. You can't ever quit. I know. And they circle them just
0: like the galloping gazelle in Attack of the Mutant. It's faster and faster, and they create this wall of flames around them, Mm -hmm. which is a neat trick. And they hiss like snakes. Yeah. Drew goes, You're
1: not Shane and Shana. It's like,
0: (laughs) Good cover, bro.
1: Yeah. Tabitha tries to prove she's not scared. She pulls off one of the pumpkin's heads, and there's just nothing underneath. Yeah. And the pumpkins pick up their heads. Nothing, Nothing at, at all. all.
0: <laughs> the pumpkins pick up their heads and are laughing at them, and they try to run, but the pumpkins trap them in another circle of
1: flames. So they try to tell the woman at the next house, and she she just laughs them laughs them off, and is saying, "You know, it's kind of late, you guys." Yeah, and this is part of the horror of this.
0: This book is being forced into socially awkward situations, like in, in, in *The Living Dummy*, right? Yeah. Where these pumpkins are making them do something that makes people annoyed with them. And also, no
1: one takes takes the danger seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah. They run up to this man who I thought was the killer. Yeah. He's in a blue uniform. He's carrying a black lunchbox and he's just out late at night. And I was like, oh, he's like that black lunchbox has some Israel
1: keys, murder supplies in it. Yeah. And the pumpkins hide when he shows up. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so he says, ha ha, good joke. And he leaves. The kids just, they start protesting when the jack-o'-lanterns get back. They say, our our bags are full. And the pumpkins say, no problem. Start eating. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, what is their motive? <laughs> Why do they want these kids to have so much candy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they basically keep eating until they're sick. Mm-hmm. And they the pumpkin heads are going faster, faster. Yeah, and it's kind of grotesque. Tabby has all this chocolate running down her chin. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to the next house, because they have to keep going after that, a woman with a jack-o'-lantern head answers. And then every house after that, the people have jack-o'-lantern heads. And they're just silent. They're just silently dropping candy yeah. into their bags. It is nice that they're still giving candy, though. Yeah. I mean, not <laughs> when you've just, like, thrown up from too much candy. No. The kids refuse to go further. And the... Oh, sorry, I just... I started writing my notes, P-heads. And I'm just like, feds. <laughs> <laughs> the feds, man. <laughs> so the pu- the pumpkin heads start wailing. And, other, and all the other pumpkin heads start coming out of their house, their houses. Yeah, and they're shooting out flames. Mm-hmm. The original two have four extra pumpkins.
0: Oh, and the the pumpkins are all carrying, uh, are all are all chanting "trick or treat, trick or treat."
1: Yeah. Ooh. And so they want to make them one of them. Yeah. And that's what
0: they should have been chanting.
1: One of us. One, one of us. us. So they they have two you know that are hollowed out with a hole in the bottom, and they put them on Tabby and Lee's head. They slam them over their yeah. heads. Yeah. And then the kids run away screaming. Yeah. And then we find out it was Shane and Shana. And they're aliens. Yes. And the rest of these shapeshifter aliens
0: are their brothers and sisters. Um, They've invaded the whole neighborhood. And we end with a little joke. So Drew says, you know, I've never seen you two eat before. They're
1: talking about how convenient it is that Shane and Shana don't want to cut of the candy.
0: Right. And uh, they're like, what do you eat? And Shana jokes that they eat humans and that if... Drew gains more weight, they'll eat them too, and the implication is that they've been responsible for the deaths of these people around the neighborhood, or disappearances. Yeah. Which is fucking creepy Yeah, when you think about it. It is. Those horrifying moments those people lived through. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Let's get to theories. Okay. Horror taxonomies.
1: Well, so my first one was... Too much of a good thing. I had that, too. Uh, literally, word for word. That's so funny. Yeah. Thinking about that candy scene, because that, that was actually horrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, that scene was really upsetting, which, of course, reminded me of Seven and forcing the guy to eat himself to death. Yes. How absolutely. about you? What did you have for this one?
0: Yeah. I also had too much of a good thing. You know, with Legends of the Last Legend, you referenced Willy Wonka, and mm-hmm. I thought about that where Augustus Gloop is trying to drink the chocolate river and yeah. falls in. It's the ironic punishment, uh, what what Dante calls the contrapasso, uh, being punished in the kind of opposite way of what would make sense. Mm -hmm. There is a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode. Which is actually based on a story I just learned called The Devil and Daniel Webster. Oh, yeah. It's The Devil and Homer Simpson. Uh Oh, you know The Devil and Daniel Webster? No, I know The Devil and Homer Simpson. Okay. So that's the one where he eats a forbidden donut and then the devil's like, I'll force you to eat so many donuts that whatever. And Homer's like, this is great. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work. But in The Devil and Daniel Webster, he he wants money. He's like, I'll sell my soul for money. And then Mm. money ends up being an ironic curse. Nice. Yeah. So it's one of those stories. Ah. What else did you have? Why don't you go? mysterious disappearances around town. Nice. The main point of reference I was thinking of here is Summer of 84. Do you remember that film? Yeah, yeah. It's a Canadian independent horror film set in Oregon following this boy in the summer of 84 who lives in Oregon, and all these teen boys are disappearing around town, and he suspects his neighbor, and it kind of follows this plot of these friends trying to figure out who is attacking them. And, okay, this is a spoiler, so jump ahead 15 seconds if you don't want to hear, but much like in that film, the neighbor did it, and at the end of the movie, the kids are still in danger. They're still on the loose.
1: And I think in, in Attack of the Jack Lanterns, they're also still in danger. Yeah. It's it's very stranger danger. And as you brought up before, the kid who's dressed as a milk carton is yes. a really nice sort of reference to that, that style of paranoia. Yeah. Well, and that's
0: a style of paranoia that's specifically brought out by Halloween, right? because you're going sending your kids off on their own to a bunch of neighbors who you don't know that well
1: yeah and what if they're giving them apples full of razor blades
0: right Well and I think there's another version out too which is a bunch of neighbors have to deal with kids out on the prowl around <laughs> their true. house yeah. yeah and in this case Shane and Shane are the real threat to adults mm-hmm. so it, it inverts that yeah they're eating them right trick and treat
1: yeah also they've been there for at least two years and probably more so yeah. it makes you wonder, who they have been eating up till this point and whether it was noticed.
0: Right. At what point did the town authorities start tracking or being willing to admit that there was a pattern of disappearances? Slash, at what point were the people who disappeared considered important enough Mm -hmm. to warrant notice?
1: Versus, was it like a Spidey type figure earlier? Right. Exactly. Local mystery. Right. Yeah. Uh, What else did you have? I had conspiracy to gaslight. Uh, so the Roger Corman pit and the pendulum yes. and the Sarah Waters novel Fingersmith. It's not horror specifically, but it was the first thing that came to mind where it also harkens back to this Victorian era plot of the man trying to get his wife institutionalized yeah. so that he can steal her fortune. Uh-huh. And it this, this one sort of flips that on its head. But basically the idea that you can't trust anyone around you because lots of people around you are conspiring to come together to destroy your sanity. Right. This is... Much more
0: horror from Tabby and Lee's perspective.
1: Yes, and it's it's also maybe more to point out that yeah, the ones who are kind of messed up here are our protagonists. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So Drew and Walker and Shane and Chyna. Yeah, obviously Shane and Chena for different reasons, but the fact that they're spending so long conspiring against their friends and like harboring these grudges is pretty intense. That actually dovetails nicely into my next one.
0: I brought up the revenge tragedy before, right? And so often revenge tragedies are focused around a likable bad person Mm -hmm. who is, as you say, like putting all this energy into conspiring against someone and gaslighting them and all of that. But I specifically was thinking, in this case, holiday-based revenge. You know, these holiday-based revenge stories often thematically link to the holiday
1: itself, for example, in Blood Rage, Rage Against Your Family, yeah. Or Halloween,
0: uh-huh. right?
1: Where the masked killer is is kind of disguised because it's Halloween.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, so the, the example of this I was thinking about is almost every Bob's Burgers Halloween episode. <laughs> but I was thinking especially of... I remember there's one where they had built a clubhouse in an alley and they all get trapped in there yes. by some of their friends. Yeah.
1: And like by a truck.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a case where, I guess, yeah, family, neighbors, and also children any of them could be they, like because it's a night of mischief where all the rules are gone, Purge style maybe yeah anything can happen to you and, and so that's that's what this book is playing with. Yeah,
1: I love that. Thank you. So I also had Kid with an alien friend. Oh cool. So we had we have movies like Mac and Me and E.T obviously. Also when I was googling this, there's a movie called Star Kid from 1997. Have you heard of this? Oh, I didn't have the little boy from Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, it's not quite the same. He finds like a some sort of AI suit. In case you can't tell, I haven't seen it, um, yeah. and then has to fight aliens. But yeah, so this idea that kids form a special bond with an alien, but unlike you know Mac and Me or At, it's it's pretty sinister in this one. Yeah, it's like you're my you're my special bully friend.
0: Flight of the Navigator, a similar type of mm. story, which I was obsessed with for a while, and now I could not tell you the plot of it. I just know I watched <laughs> it a lot. But are there ones? where the kid is friends with an alien and the alien is actually evil? I don't
1: know. Because those tend, don't tend to be kids' movies. Yeah. But I feel like evil child movies tend more to be... And Goosebumps, if, if you can think of a counter example, let me know. But I think that evil child movies tend to be more like it's th- just the kid on their own. Or yeah. at most, they can say conjure something. right? Like in um, that one Twilight Zone episode, um, it, it, It's a Good Life, uh-huh. where the little kid can just make monsters on his own.
0: Or movies where the kid has a best friend who no one can see, but is actually a real... A haunter.
1: Yeah, like Goodnight Mommy or exactly. even like uh, Tony, the little boy who lives in Danny Danny Torrance's mouth.
0: Yeah, that's a great example. And with Stephen King, I mean anything that's a ghost or a figment of someone's imagination is also an interdimensional alien being so. Actually
1: yeah, and actually now that I think about it, Tommy um oh yeah they do sort of visit one of the kids, but it's more to trick him into giving them his little brother. So it's not like they're in cahoots together in a way that the kid is conscious of.
0: Right, exactly. But I don't know how
1: conscious Drew is of her role in enabling Shane and
0: Shayna. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she is. I don't think she realizes quite how dangerous these man-eating aliens are that are her friends. That's true. Oh, and a a great example is Animorphs, right? Yeah! Of course. Friends with an
1: alien. Some of the aliens are evil. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh my god, that's another one where it's like, oh, I loved it, forgot all of the plot. <laughs> it's a good plot too, except it's for the one dense. guy who just becomes a hawk forever.
0: Tobias. Yeah, <laughs> I had a related taxonomy point, which is there's a surprise alien at the end. <laughs> was one of
1: your examples "Welcome to Camp Nightmare"?
0: Well, that's a great example actually, <laughs> and I am wondering when we get to shared universe how much rel- uh, how much of a relationship there is between those two stories. But I was actually thinking of the weird owl film UHF which also stars Fran Drescher I know you haven't seen it I know a lot of you GoosePunks punks probably have it's a cult classic we need to watch it at some point Yeah It's like when you watch something like Monty Python where it's not actually that funny watching it but it's fun to talk about it later mm-hmm. and reference it What does UHF stand for Ultra high frequency Oh it's not it, what I would have guessed No it's um a type of TV show that predates us, pretty much. So I think, it's, I'm going to be slightly wrong about this, but some kinds of channels were broadcast at ultra-high frequency, and I guess some of those channels were low-rent kind of community TV shows <laughs> that just were local. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what the story is about, is Weird Al starts his own TV channel and just gets his friends to come on and do things. And one of them is this guy who I think his name is, like, Phyllos or something like that. And he teaches the kids about the secrets of the universe. And then at the very end, they're just having this party to celebrate how, you know, successful their channel has been. And it turns out Phyllos is an alien and his face bugs out and he goes up to his home planet. Huh. It's just a surprise twist at the end. He was an alien <laughs> all along. Wow! And I really felt that when I was when I was reading this book. It's like out of nowhere.
1: What else do you have? Um. Well, I had kids getting revenge, but I tended to find that those fall into the more kids movie category. Such as there's that one scene from Stand By Me. There's Home Alone. Uh, and if you you want the sort of more serious revenge stuff, it usually involves teens, such as The Craft. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So.
0: Wasn't Blank Check a revenge story?
1: I guess so. I he gets hit by about... a car or something. I don't know in, in what's, if it's really a revenge story, but I actually have no idea.
0: Well, Also, didn't Macaulay Culkin do one that was like, getting even with dad or something like that? Oh, I have I don't know. I remember something like that. But yeah, I know totally the type you're, you're mm-hmm. talking about. Although I feel like in those, it's like, hi, Jinx, you know, we'll yeah, have some exactly. funny music.
1: And Even like, though you just changed the music and it could be a horror movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like with Home Alone. Mm-hmm. And so this is the version of that where it's acknowledging a little bit more that this is dangerous. Yes. Drew will say at certain points, Shane and Shana have some pretty twisted plans. Yeah. Go on. Yes, yeah, so that's all I had. Okay. I had two others. One was... Hidden towns slash hidden societies. So this nice. little tucked away neighborhood they've never seen before mm-hmm. reminded me of the beginning of Nightmare Before Christmas, where yeah. he wanders out into the place with all the doors in the woods that takes him to Christmas Town. Jack Skellington mm-hmm. to Christmas Town, and then uh, the really stupid movie Brigadoon. I don't know why it is much loved, but it's about this Scottish town that appears I don't know once every century or something, only for a day. And huh. you can go to it, and they're all singing. Oh. These two guys find it. One decides to stay because he falls in love. It is it's it's it is what it is. I all right, know. then. <laughs> um, and then, relatedly to Nightmare Before Christmas, actually, I had pumpkin heads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For example, the film Pumpkinhead. <laughs> and also Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. And then, especially, I was thinking about The Headless Horseman. Yeah. Which interestingly, I thought when the when Drew's nickname was Elf, we might get Arlstein leading a little harder into old England paganism horror, mm-hmm. which Halloween is really rooted in. Yeah, but it didn't. But it really, was
1: totally misdirected. Yeah, yeah, it didn't
0: go in that direction at mm-hmm. all. It went in an aliens direction. Yeah, so. but the pumpkin on the head kind of conjures up those associations of. What's the name of the guy who...
1: Ichabod, no, Washington Irving? Who...
0: No, who um, who originated the jack-o'-lantern in mythology.
1: Oh, I don't remember.
0: So I heard a slightly different version of this story, but I just looked it up on Encyclopedia Britannica, that the origin of the jack-o'-lantern is supposedly an Irish myth about stingy Jack who tricked the devil for his own monetary gain. Uh, not unlike the devil in Daniel Webster. Yeah. And uh, when he died, God didn't allow him into heaven, and the devil said... I'm still mad at you. And so he has to wander earth for eternity. That's the part I remember. And he walks around with this turnip with a... uh, Well, okay, the version I heard is he walks around with this turnip and that's his lantern. But what it says here is people carve demonic faces in turnips to frighten away his wandering soul. So I don't know how much of this is true. Encyclopedia Britannica can be wrong. But that's the kind of story that the idea of a jack-o'-lantern face wandering around in the woods conjures up.
1: Yeah, the idea of some sort of, like, flame or lighter lantern that represents someone's lost wandering soul that we then must ward off because we cannot have that near us. Yeah, I'm not going to help you. Yeah, no. I'm going to make my own lantern. You stay away. (laughs) Exactly. Which, I mean, this is definitely a
0: story about neighbors not helping each other. Yes. Well, shared
1: universe. Yeah. So initially, I was wondering if our green slime was going to be somehow monster blood related, but I feel like it's not. I feel like it's... I mean, monster blood doesn't seem to be caustic. No. And... I mean, no one eats it, so we didn't really see anything happen, but it seems separate.
0: Well, actually... Oh, you mean no one eats it in this story? In this story, yes. Yes. So it's making me think I might have to revise my earlier theory about Camp Nightmare, where there was that green slime under the seat, and I thought that might be monster blood, mm-hmm. and it might have been brought down by these aliens. Maybe it's just a totally different slime brought down by those aliens. Mm-hmm. They just have this slime on their planet, and I wonder if Shane and Shana are from the Camp Nightmare planet, and we're seeing the extension of... Of that invasion plan.
1: That is actually what I was wondering if if these are the Welcome to Camp Nightmare aliens. Yeah, since that book settled down and started to to make make inroads into human society. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and they have some shape shifting abilities that we weren't aware of. Yeah, I
0: mean, if they are shapeshifters, it's surprising that that ability wasn't used in Welcome to Camp Nightmare. But maybe it's something they've discovered they're able to do on Earth that they weren't able to do at home.
1: Or it was just unremarkable and oh. didn't require commenting on because it was a first-person story. That's a
0: great point. Yeah, you wouldn't think of yourself as a shapeshifter if you only knew shapeshifters. Yeah. That, I think that's great. Uh, I was, before that, so I think you are more on track, but I also had an aliens question, mm-hmm. which is whether, it, maybe it could be it could be both, right? I was wondering whether, the, whether Shane and Shana are grown-up versions of egg monsters. They actually, they're shapeshifters, right?
1: Egg monsters were too. Oh, interesting. So like maybe in their mature form, they can do a lot more mimicry. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, that still could be consistent with the Welcome to Camp Nightmare. I mean, maybe they travel by egg (laughs) (laughs) or in egg form to incubate over long periods of space travel. Like maybe when they become that egg yolk substance, that's a kind of... Uh, suspended animation or like how in every outer space movie with interstellar space travel, like say the beginning of the beginning of Aliens 3, where they're in those tubes and they're mm-hmm. frozen, you know? Yeah. It's like a version of that. And and one thing that actually made me feel a little more confident about this hypothesis is their choice of pumpkin heads. Because as you know, pumpkin is an egg substitute in vegan baking.
1: <laughs> oh, man, this book was so ahead of its time. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're cracking it wide open. Exactly. Like an egg. Anything else for Shared Universe? The
0: only other thing I had for Shared Universe, well, I had two very small points. One was, do you remember the town we're in? No. We're in Riverdale. Oh! <laughs> and given that in Attack of the Mutant we had Libby reading High School Harry and Beanhead, which was a reference to the Riverdale comics, to the Archie comics, I was wondering if Arl Stein was nodding to that in some way, and if we could equate this in any way with an Archie comic story. But I haven't read them in so long, and when I did read them, I kind of binged them in a weekend at my friend's house, so I didn't
1: retain a lot. Yeah, I found them, like, I don't remember anything from them, and I'm not familiar with the Riverdale show, but it's very possible. um, Goosebumps who are more familiar should write us in and let us know.
0: Yeah, let us know which Archie comic this is cribbed from. (laughs) And then my other thought was just of Walker's dark and stormy night costume. Implications, uh, problematic implications aside, a dark and stormy night is a bit of intertextuality. Uh, It is a reference to what's considered one of the quote unquote worst opening lines in literature. I don't think it's a
1: bad opening line. I think there are worse ones. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool. It's not more offensive than a lot of things I've read.
0: Not at all. But it, it opens Edward Bulwer Lytton's 1830 novel, Paul Clifford, which I did not look up anything about. And it is also the opening to another book about children ref- befriending aliens, A Wrinkle on Time.
1: Oh, yeah. awesome. Yes. Oh, and that's also good intertext. Yeah, but yeah, it, just, it really is. It, like That's not a worse opening line than the first Night of the Living Dummy book, where it was mmm, mm. <laughs> No, I mean, I
0: don't know what's a bad opening line. You would know. You write. You write words.
1: You yeah. write creatively. I don't know, man. I feel like the more you, the more I write, at least the more I have a hard time distinguishing. Sometimes
0: I just think it depends how well you can play it out. You know, mm-hmm. you can make it work for your story or not. Yeah. But no line is objectively bad. I think
1: there may be objectively bad lines. Okay. Some like, lines may be objectively bad, but like serve the their one purposes. about the ones that are written about Lee in this book. I find objectively bad.
0: Yes, that's not a matter of their skill on a level of form,
1: (laughs) but rather their content being offensive and Mm -hmm. underthought. Well, I think it's also the content that is the objectionable part of that dark and stormy night sentence, too.
0: It's cool. Dark, stormy, night. (laughs) What's that to like? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's what people are objecting to, that it says dark when it's night. And it's like, well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Some people really hate redundancy. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. I like repetition. And redundancy. Hence, reading these books. Yeah. (laughs) Well, do you have any other theories? That's it. All right. Well, let me talk you through what they did in 2018 to this book. Oh, good. So regarding the body shaming, they take out all words fat and plump Mm -hmm. and
1: replace them with large. That's not a huge improvement. No, it's... Not again, a large improvement.
0: <laughs> well, again, I feel like all they're doing is a little surface cleaning for positive or for plausible
1: deniability. Yeah, they're they're coding it a little bit more.
0: They took out the line, my dad says they're roly poly, and instead of saying the people were very overweight who disappeared, and it's like very offensive. It says like and had at least six chins. Instead it says, All four people were huge. The first one, a bald man in a bulging turtleneck sweater, had to be at least six foot six.
1: Yeah, the height isn't really the objectionable part, right? It's the bulging turtleneck, right? Like, yeah, I think
0: they're saying so it could the, be
1: bulging muscles. Yeah,
0: which actually could right, have specified, but yes, I could if I could throw in another uh, text, uh, another intertext here. There's the brilliant book under the skin. It is nothing like the Scarlett Johansson movie on, that is based on it. And in that one, it's about this alien who captures large men and basically factory farms them for her alien species. Actually, that is super related to this Oh, spot. yeah, that's great. And one thing that happens is she, she looks for big, burly men with lots of muscles so that she can su- supply meat to yeah. her homeland, which is running low on food. And so it actually makes sense to me that the aliens would be looking for really muscly people. Yeah. Okay. So that's the body image issues. The race thing, the only thing that they appear to have changed. So they removed the reference to black face paint in Walker's dark and stormy night costume. Good. Good. So clearly someone was like, hey. Someone caught it. Yeah. (laughs) Painting your face black as a white kid is not neutral. Mm Mm-mm. And then the other thing is, so the line, the description of Lee, tell me if you think this is better. So the original, Lee is African-American and he sort of struts when he walks and acts real cool like the rappers on MTV videos. So that's 1996 version. 2018, he sort of struts when he walks and acts real cool. That's not a huge improvement. No, no. Again, you're just saying it quieter.
1: And also, you're acknowledging that MTV is less relevant.
0: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know if kids in 2018 know what that is, even. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really play music anymore, so. it, it, it Probably, if they were going to update it again, would put TikTok instead, right?
1: Yeah, or like YouTube.
0: Right, is a relevant point of reference. Also, just random fact, the portable tape player is re- changed to be a, quote, recorder. Not really sure what
1: that's supposed to be. <laughs> And I guess they were like, I have no idea what is a substitute for a tape recorder. They're like, we do not want to update these again in twenty years, just it's a fucking recorder. Yeah, it records in some way. Use our imagination, goddammit. And then the film camera becomes a digital
0: camera. So they must have cut a bit out of that scene where he's like, Oh, there's no film in it. It must be like, oh, it's not charged. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't yeah. say in on the Goosebumps wiki, but <laughs> there there's your there's your
1: fixes. Well. Coulda Coulda done better. Like if I was grading that revision, I'd be like, okay. Try harder. Yes. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. It's like you you could put a little more time and thought into this.
0: Five minutes more. I know you're writing a book every two weeks, but what if it was every two weeks and five minutes?
1: Or like, what if you just let your editors take over on this? In fact, it's maybe the editing job that we're, we're sort of criticizing here i'm blaming everyone yeah everyone everyone is responsible i'm not saying arlstein is not responsible i'm just saying i don't know who specifically could have taken five more minutes but at least one person involved (laughs) in this very lucrative franchise could have taken five more minutes and you know
0: how many people are going to be reading these things Uh acknowledge that you have an
1: impact which is cool but then you know publishing's very white
0: (laughs) yeah it is it's true well what would you rate attack of the jack-o'-lanterns
1: I don't know. It's tough because there's all this really problematic shit, but it has some good moments, right? It has the potential abduction by these people. Mm. It has the force feeding of children, which I apparently really enjoyed. Yeah. But also it has all this like kind of bummer stuff. So I would give it a four out of five. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm hovering somewhere between 2.75 and three. Wow. Yeah. We are very apart from each other. Mm-hmm. You're, I think, yeah, I understand where you're coming
0: from. I also think you're really mad about that old people plot being a fake out
1: (laughs) no I actually um I really liked it like I was faked out like it was a genuine like I genuinely didn't see that gonna be a fake out again disappointed that it was but it's more like it's getting that much because of that and also again the eat your candy faster
0: yeah I would say that 0.5 of my four out of five is the cover art
1: cover art is excellent
0: yeah it's one of the best yeah I'm excited for Halloween it's July and I'm excited. I can't excited. wait.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm ready for summer to be fucking over. Like, not time-wise. Like, I don't... Like, I, I got stuff to do this summer. But I am excited for the weather and the Halloween. It is quite sticky and humid in this closet right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we have some other exciting Goosebumps news, folks. So we have some other exciting Goosebumps news, folks. If you're looking for some additional listening, you know, you've, you've blasted through every say pod and die and you want more, some buddies of ours the podcast up all night at prvt island one word on twitter are currently watching every episode of the goosebumps tv series and releasing episodes uh, and releasing podcast episodes on it we're going to go ahead and drop in their promo here so you can get a sense of what they're about and hope you'll give them a listen Hey there everybody, my name's Cortland, and I'm Brandon, and this is the Up All Night Horror Anthology Podcast, where we cover every horror anthology show that we can get our hands on. We've already reviewed all of Are You Afraid of the Dark, we've set our sights on Goosebumps next. Do you love to laugh at amazing 90s Canadian horror shows? And we've got the perfect podcast for you! So join us every Tuesday for new episodes to keep you up all night. Okay, so what are we reading next? Next week, we are reading Vampire Breath. Ah, vampires, finally! Yeah. Although we had some maybe vampires before. We had vampire-esque creatures in both the ghouls from the first book and also Lucy Dark's family. That's true. But yeah, here are some proper vampires. Yeah, not just adjacent. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I've never read that one. Me neither. Goosepunks, we want to know what you thought of Attack of the jack o Who was your favorite townsperson? Yeah. Who's, whose side story would you like to read? What were you most horrified by? Do you think two nickels is a good Halloween offering? I mean, in this economy. Do you think the two nickels, it might be a reference to the devil? <laughs> it's definitely not. But anyway, it, I'm going to say it's, a, it's it could be construed as a reference to the devil and Daniel Webster. I think he gets two pence or maybe it's two nickels. I really
1: briefly glanced at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> we'll have to read it. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah. I think it was made into a film. You can send us your... Theories and queries at saypodanddie at gmail.com. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at saypodanddie. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Leave us five bewares wherever you can rate your podcasts. It helps us reach more GoosePunks.
0: Yeah, share the show with friends. It is very exciting to continue to build this awesome community.
1: Listener beware. Those Those were were the scares. scares. Good boo. Good boo. Come in! Please come in, the old woman pleaded. I want my husband to see you. Tabby led the way into the house. We stepped into a tiny, dimly lit living room. The room felt like a blast furnace. It had to be 500 degrees in there. The woman shut the front door behind us. Forrest! Forrest! She called. She turned to us and smiled. He's in the back room. Follow me. To my surprise, the back room was enormous, and jammed with kids in costumes. Most of the kids had taken off their masks. Some of them were crying. A red-faced little man with shaggy white hair came hobbling out from the corner, leaning on a white cane. "'I like your costumes,' he said, grinning at us. "'We—we have to go now,' Tabby stammered. We all turned towards the door. The old woman had shut it behind her. The old man smiled. The woman stepped up beside him. "'You have to stay,' she said. "'We like to look at your costumes.' "'Huh? What are you saying? How long are you going to keep us here?' Tabby cried. "'Forever.'